the fact is, you can literally say you've been blessed. I lost both legs on a battlefield in Afghanistan and I'm blessed because of it. And people are going to look and they're going to hear that and they're going to say, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> That's what they're going to say, Ron Jones, they really are. And you're going to say confidently back, uh, you are blessed because this is what happened. But the lessons for all of us are so powerful, people. And oftentimes in our lives, these things happen that are so inconsequential. It may be not on a battlefield in Afghanistan, but it's in your battlefield in life, whatever your battlefield is. Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Though the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends, today, we are on the brink of greatness. You know, there have been, as I always say, there's a lot of casualties of war. And war is, it's tough business. And you just don't know when you're out on the front lines and something's gonna happen or what might happen. And as always is the story or the cases in these brink stories, life can change in a moment. I mean, it can change that fast and it changes everything. And that's what life is, friends. It can be unpredictable. Uh, you got to know how to balance those highs and those lows out. Uh, but you'll meet a Brink thinker today, a gentleman who certainly hit the lows. Uh, he hit some of the low points, but I think what's really fantastic and fascinating and awesome and courageous and about this story is he didn't stay low. I have to tell you, he fought like hell to push through it. And you just have to celebrate that in every capacity of life that someone that can take it on and and you know, oftentimes too, life can actually even get more interesting. It can, it, you know, remember you hear some of these brink stories, something happens and, and it's unexpected always, pretty much, but it changes things and that adversity, that uh, low point can change, uh, you know, your whole outlook of life, what you're gonna do with life, um, what happens and then New doors open up. That's the beautiful thing about it. And I am certain that Rob Jones will agree with me. Rob, welcome to the Brink of Greatness. Well, I'm happy to be a guest. Thanks a lot for having me. I just love, I see, you know, I watched the video there and I see you uh, looking from the hospital bed and I, yeah, I just have to respect and appreciate that moment of where you were and what's going through one's mind when they take that sort of a hit in life. Because when you're at a point now, you're a double amputee. You've lost you lost both your legs, correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And so that was a moment of life for you. I mean, it's not something you can never really plan for that, can you, Rob? No, I mean, you can kind of uh, be aware that it's a possibility, but I don't think anybody really actually expects it to happen to them. That, that's a good way to say it. I mean, how can you expect it to happen to you? And, and quite frankly, a lot of people, I know for me, and I'm sure yourself, we think we're invincible sometimes or think at least that, like you say, it won't happen to us, but then it happens. So let's dial it back a bit here because again, you were in both fronts. You were in Iraq and Afghanistan. You were in both fronts. Mm -hmm. 
where did this happen exactly? Uh, I was wounded in Sangin, Afghanistan, which is a district of uh, Helmand province. It's in southern Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, yeah. Now, we've had a lot of serious injuries and a lot of deaths in Afghanistan. A lot of soldiers haven't come back from there. Um, you, know, you have to sometimes do, do the... Uh, the math on that, Rob, and wonder what we've really accomplished over time. And I'm sure you've done that. Um, let's bring it back to your journey personally. Now, you were responsible for finding where these uh, these IEDs were. Is that correct? Yeah, my job was uh, what we call route clearance. So whenever we came up to an area where we suspected there was a good chance of an IED being present, I would go through the area first and mark uh, a clear path for everybody else to follow. Wow. Wow. Now, how specialty is this line of work that you were doing? I mean, how, how specific and what kind of skill sets do you learn to do that? Uh, it's not super special. Um, it could just because, you know, that's the number one way that people are getting killed and uh, wounded is IED. So obviously we react to that by having a lot of people that can uh, deter that, deter that uh, weapon by the Taliban. Right. So, uh, the, the, so let's explain to people, the Taliban, they plant these things to injure, maim, and kill soldiers, right? Correct. Yeah. That's the whole concept of war, right? I mean, that's it. And they plant all these, and they're just about everywhere. And, and, and in Afghanistan, like, how many of these things are in any given area, like where you were just now in that province? What are we talking about? Are we talking, I mean, is it a massive amount of these things? Are they more um, pronounced in certain areas? Or how do you, how do you measure this? Yeah, uh, certain areas are going to be more pronounced. Um, anywhere where America has, or allied forces have been, there's going to be less. Um, anywhere where we're planning to go, there's probably going to be more. And then they're always going to be concentrated in what we call choke points. So places where the Taliban is expecting us to go based on terrain uh, features. So uh, before and after a bridge or in doorways and things like that. Right. So there's a strategy to it then where they're putting all these things clearly. Yeah. And, and, and they're, and they're buried, obviously they're buried in the ground. So they're usually under dirt, right? Uh, yeah, generally they'll be in, in dirt. They can be up in trees. Uh, sometimes they put them in walls. Uh, and then in Iraq, they'll put them in roads. Um, they'll put them in, you know, trash containers, things like that. So really it can be, be anywhere. anything. It could yeah. be absolutely anywhere. So that means you've got to be on total guard like all the time, every minute, huh? Just about. Uh, you kind of, yeah, if you if you let your guard down, then that's when, you know, that's when you don't see something that you should. Right. And then that's it. That one that one mistake can be can be fatal. I mean, total yep. fatal. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That one uh, momentary lapse. Yeah. Rob, is there any idea with IEDs, and I, I don't know the answer, but it, it, like how many actually survive a hit from an IED? Is there a percentage? Is it half? Is it less? Is it more? And how many are fatal versus how many are end up with a, a limb loss or something like that? Uh, you know, I don't know what the uh, percentage would be, but I would say the majority of people do survive. They do? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, hmm. Just because we have... Uh, there's a lot more wounded than there are uh, killed uh, from Afghanistan and Iraq. So, yeah, I, th I think most most people that uh, that are hit by IEDs do end up surviving. 
Interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I thought it was the, so I thought where a lot of the blows would be more fatal in nature, but uh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So as we bring it back and dial back now to this particular time in Afghanistan where you were, you, you obviously had done this for a while. And you're, so you're up in front of the troops and you're checking, right, to see what's going on. And you're, you have equipment and you're actually checking the ground area and what have you to make sure there's no hidden IED so the troops can come through. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. I use a metal detector and then just kind of intuition. All right. So the metal detector and intuition. So this particular one that, that hit you that day, did it, did it, you couldn't see it. It didn't pronounce itself. Do you remember what happened? Uh, well, uh, so right before I started searching, there was somebody from our squad that stepped on an IED. So, uh, but they weren't, they weren't actually wounded at all because, the IED malfunctioned, so it didn't actually explode fully. Wow. But since <clears throat> since um, the Taliban likes to put secondaries and tertiaries along with their IEDs, the likelihood that there was going to be another one in there was uh, about 100%. So that's why I started moving through that area trying to find us a safe route. And, yeah, you know, I guess the guy that, that buried it, uh, he did it really well. These things are really hard to find, and they, they hide them very well. Uh, and then on top of that, it was an area where uh, allied forces hadn't really been in a long time. Uh, so that has the oppor- that produces the opportunity for there to be old IEDs uh, in the ground. So it takes away a lot of the visual indicators that you might be able to use uh, when you're doing that. I see. So there was situation in, involved. So was yeah. there anything different about that particular day? Not particularly, to be honest with you. We were just um, doing a push into Taliban territory. We were just trying to go in there and take over a few compounds. And, you know, that's something that we have been doing for a couple of weeks. And so, yeah, it wasn't really a particularly special day. Okay. And so bringing it back to that point of impact, when that happened right there and it went off and you had the blast, bring us back to that moment. What was, what, how, how did your mind react to that? And what, what did you think? Uh, well, it reacted in a survival mode at first. It kind of uh, shut itself down for the most part, except for the, for the vital, uh, vital processes, I guess. <clears throat> and so at first I really didn't have a whole lot of my senses. And then as uh, you know, the, endorphins got pumped into my into my body from from everywhere uh, I started to calm down and you know just started having clear thoughts about the situation itself you know what I was missing of my body um, I never really thought about whether I would die I guess I just assumed I would uh, survive and then just started thinking of immediately started thinking about the future um, what was I no longer going to be able to do? Cause I knew something was going to be missing. Uh, so I just kind of went through my head on a, a lot of things that I like to be able to do and, you know, just kind of wondered whether or not I'd be able to do them anymore. And when you were having those thoughts and they're very logical thoughts you're having, let me understand. That's why you're still hurt, maimed and on the battlefield. These thoughts start entering your mind right then. Are they not? Yeah, correct. This is, I was probably unconscious for 20 seconds or so, and then I woke up uh, at sight of injury, and my fellow Marines started working on me. But they put tourniquets on my legs, and then the corpsman gave me morphine, and they started taking me. They loaded me up onto a stretcher. They got me out there pretty quick, but you know, I had, I had plenty of time to think. 
Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how our minds operate that way, Rob. And I, do, I know exactly what you mean by that. Um, we, our minds tend to race ahead in time. Uh, at times of challenge or difficulty, and some people, some people have even reported on this at the point of death sometimes, where they'll go back and think through their life cycle or what have you. The mind is such a powerful thing, you know. Yeah. And and so I can see that when you're on the battlefield, and it's it, you know, and you can just imagine that your mind immediately would go to, okay, so how is life going to change now? So what, like you say, what am I missing? What's going on? These are the kinds of random thoughts you were thinking about, huh? Yeah, that's correct. I was. I assumed I wouldn't be able to go to the gym anymore. I assumed I wouldn't be able to look after myself. I assumed I'd be in a wheelchair forever. So the you know future projections I was coming up with were really based on really poor assumptions. But uh, that's just you know based on what I knew at the time, and yeah. uh, obviously now I know a lot better. Yeah, yeah, but no, those poor assumptions are reality of that moment, and what yeah. with all the uncertainties of what you don't know. So it's it's clearly, you know, understandable and, and somewhat logical too, that you'd have those thoughts, not knowing, you know, what life holds ahead, what the future holds ahead. And do you almost get a sense too, when that happens, that you begin, there's, I mean, I don't know how quick depression enters our minds and our bodies, but do you get a sense early on that do you think a lot of guys go through almost an immediate moment of depression, like with all those thoughts now running through one's mind without knowing what the possibilities are or the opportunities ahead, that it's like this dramatic dose of life being changed and they almost depression almost comes on to them quickly. Do you ever hear that? Uh, yeah, that's quite common. I think in a lot of tragedy, I mean, it's, it's part of the, uh, the five stages of grief in, in a lot of cases. I don't know that most guys that I know of would have uh, descended into depression uh, right away, or I don't know that the majority of veterans uh, really descend into depression more than a normal uh, amount. Okay. Uh, from what I've seen, the vast majority of us, you know, have the experience and obviously it comes with a, a modicum of sadness because, you know, you have lost a few things, but the vast majority of people recover. Right. Right. All right. So now you, you, they, they bring you away from that. You, you've got morphine in you, you, you know, you're so to numb, you mean there's a lot of pain associated with this normally, but your mind plays funny on the pain as well. You don't always feel that pain initially. Then of course you get the morphine and all of that. Yeah. And then you get into where the paramedics can work on you and what, what happens next? What do you remember? Um, you know, they gave me the morphine and then they just loaded me up onto a stretcher and they carried me to a tank and then they gave me something else that made me unconscious. And so the next time I woke up was about three days later in Germany. Wow. So they make you, they give you something and you're, then you're unconscious, huh? Yeah. I don't know what that was, but, um, yeah, whatever it was, it, it, he said, he said that, you know, this is going to put you to sleep and lo and behold, it did. Wow. So that's the strategy they do to get you totally settled down and then move to where you need to be moved and get you proper treatment and help and then, right, chart the course, right? Yeah. You know, obviously they don't want you to, to suffer more than you more than you need to. And it's probably a lot easier to do the working you do on an unconscious uh, patient. Right, right. And the military, this is like clockwork for the military, isn't it? Uh, yeah, by that point, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they... You know, they'd done so many of those. They had 
standard procedures they would do. And yeah. it was a very well-practiced uh, maneuver. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. This is, I mean, there are so many injuries. There's thousands yeah. of our soldiers have been injured in these fronts and these wars. And um, so, you know, it's, it's clockwork to them. Like I said, they put you to sleep. Yeah. They know what to do with the tourniquets, what to do, where to get you. And then right. Step uh -huh, by step. Exactly. By step. Yeah. yeah. There's been so many, too many. Uh, and then there's also services that the military have back here on stateside. Uh, uh, or, and I wonder, we'll talk more about that ahead and how those services were and what you were doing. So at this point, you, you wake up uh, three days later, and where are you at? Uh, three days later, I was in Landstuhl, Germany, which is just one of the stops mm -hmm. uh, on your way back to America. Uh, just a trauma hospital. They kind of stabilize you there before they send you over to uh, either Bethesda or Walter Reed. Okay. And so at that three-day point, you wake up, and at that point, you realize your limbs are gone, yes? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, at that point, I was pretty pretty out of it from uh, morphine and uh, anesthesia and that kind of thing. But yeah, you know, I, I kind of knew it. You kind of had a sense. And, and then, yeah. um, uh, so from there, how long do you stay in that area before you move on again from Germany? It depends uh, on your situation and then what aircraft are available to transport you. I think I was there for 12 hours or something. So it was a pretty short time then for you. Yeah, they get you back as fast as they can, you know, as long as you're stable. Um, and okay. as long as they have an air, a flight going back, then you'll be on it. And from there, you're on the flight coming back home? Yep. And then two days later, I, I arrive in Bethesda at the hospital. So it's pretty quick then, the trip back to the stateside, huh, to get back to... Uh... I'd, I'd say so for somebody that uh, lost both legs above the knee, for sure. Right, right. So get you back here. And then that, and, and then I'm going to assume, Rob, the journey really begins, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that, that was just the starting point. And then, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the challenging part uh, comes now. Right, right. Before we move on to the journey now, which I want to do in just a moment here, move from that hospital forward and what's taking place, I want to ask you something personally. Um, and, and I just... I just think listeners would want to know this. I mean, I, I see where you're at now and what's happened. And I'm curious your thoughts and really the thoughts of, that you believe other soldiers have about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Is there a sense of accomplishment at all, Rob? Does it seem like, is it worthy of, I mean, we know it's worthy to, to um, fight for America. We, we get that. But it, are those wars purposeful? Do soldiers believe they're purposeful? Is there a sense of that on the battlefield or not? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, mostly when you're over there, you're, you're focused on the mission and uh, just kind of protecting the, the guys on your left and right. And you really don't have a, a very, you don't have that aerial view of the overall right. mission right. as a, you know, as a corporal or a lance corporal, you kind of know the basics, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I still feel now and I felt back then that we were doing the right thing, we were doing good for the world. And, okay. you know, I think in order to really know whether or not we were successful, it's, it was really, even at this stage, it's time will tell. Exactly. Exactly. How is morale? Guess what I'm asking you is how is morale in, in with soldiers on the battlefield? I, I think for the most part, um, it's, it's great. I mean, I think morale is high, uh, in general, that doesn't mean that there aren't some people that are going to have, uh, you know, lower morale. Right. But, um, 
it was high when we were when I was over there with uh, with the guys I was with both times. Yeah. And everybody, pretty much everybody I know now has uh, has hope for the future and high morale. Right. Amen. Yeah. You you realize why I ask you these things because there's a perception sometimes where there's a disconnect with what really soldiers feel out there or what people perceive or how the media perceives things, Rob. You yeah. know what I mean? You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is one of the things that kind of bothers me too, is that mm-hmm. the, yeah. the media, maybe not, 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 not on purpose or anything, but uh, they have a tendency to want to tell a, a story and a lot of stories have to have arcs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So they want to tell the story about the veteran that, you know, is traumatized and, you know, almost self implodes and, and all these things. Uh, but the reality of the situation is that that story is the, it's the minority, it's the vast minority um, amongst veterans. So the vast majority of veterans, uh, you know, they go to war, they feel good about what they did. They come back having seen some, you know, mm-hmm. some bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they process it and they, and they actually end up using it to become better people. So well said, buddy. So well said. Well, listen, uh, the fight in force, uh, friends of the United States military, is an unbelievable charge. I mean, there's nothing pretentious about it. And the men and women, as I tell you all the time on all our programs on this platform, is remarkable. It's tremendous. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And so that's what makes this all these stories so valuable, and it's the might and people like Rob, Rob Jones, and um, and and I'm so glad we just talked about what we talked about because you gave me a sense and gave listeners a sense, buddy, as to that feeling out there in the battlefield and bringing it forward. And and I'd hoped you'd said, I mean, I feel good with what you said. You know, it gives me sense yeah. and purpose rather than hearing it secondary or third through mil- uh, through some media sources, as you and both. I agree would have another, you know, motive to the story. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't mean to say that, you know, the, the stories that you hear are false or that they don't happen or anything that's, it's important to know that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want there to be an expectation that all veterans are going to come back uh, somehow broken. That's right. That's right. All right. So here's what we'll do. So friends, we are speaking with a a Brink thinker today, Rob Jones, uh, as you hear the story here and uh, the sacrifice that he's put forward. But so here's what happened. So he's out there. He fights for this country and um, you see the struggles of what happened and what went through. And this happens in Iraq and Afghanistan. IEDs are very serious business. They're all over the place. Uh, Limbs are lost and sometimes they're fatal, as we have said here. Um, but at this point now, he's back at, in, at Stateside in Maryland, uh, and uh, now the recovery uh, point happens. And this is where the rubber meets the road and probably determines where you're going to fall in all this. And I got to tell you, Rob's story, and the reason he calls it Rob Jones' journey, is because, <laughs> I mean, you see the story and the might and the, um, the well, courage for sure, but he's also very persistent and, um, and, and probably a little thick-headed as well. We'll talk about that, friends, in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. 
with 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are back on the brink of greatness, friends. It's Malcolm Out Loud here with Kevin Williams, and we're speaking with Rob Jones. And uh, gave him all those compliments. They're just on the other side, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it, it takes a little bit of all of that, Rob. Though let's face it, if you're going to go through a journey like that and get to the other side, but my golly, what you have done in your life since then is—I mean—is just nothing short of remarkable, tremendous, and with total accomplishment. I mean, you've embraced this new life. Let me ask you personally now, have, are you married now or have you been married or children or tell me about that? Uh, yeah, my wife and I got married in 2017. Okay, so recent. Yeah, yeah, uh, coming up on two years. Yeah, well after all this happened is what I'm saying, so, uh, right? You know, yeah, yeah, I didn't meet her till 2012. There you go. There you go. And uh, how did you meet her? And how did that happen? Uh, she, we met at the Paralympic Games in London in 2012. Uh, she was rowing for uh, Great Britain in their LTA Cox 4 boat. And I was in the USA double. And we just so happened to cross paths after the competition was over and we hit it off. It's, I mean, one moment of time. I, I like that, Rob. I love these stories. Like, okay, we just happen to cross path, and the yeah. fact that and, and the fact that we just happen to cross path means that we're going to spend a life together, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, think about it. A lot. You can you can trace a lot of things back to uh, certain moments. Just like you know, I can trace uh, this back to when we met in the in London, and then I can trace a lot of things back to when I stepped on the IED. It's a uh, it's pretty common. Everybody it, has those moments, I guess. It, yes, indeed. But uh, it is really interesting how the moment when our lives or our paths cross in life, how they can take us on a whole nother journey to the left or the right, or, you know, you just don't know what direction it's going to go in at that point, you know, but that's what life is, buddy. It's unpredictable, right? Very true. <laughs> we don't really know. We, but it's living life at the fullest for sure. And I love this kind of thing where we can live life to the fullest. Um, hmm. so, so you're married now. Okay. No children. Yeah. No, not yet. Okay. Not yet, I hear. All right. Not cool. yet. We're ho hopefully soon, but uh, not just yet. All right. Very good. Very good. And uh, so let's get back to that recovery point. You're in the hospital now in Maryland. And uh, so tell me what's happening now as you now get the reality of what's taking place. What's the first thing, Rob, that comes to your mind when you now discover back to, again, when you go from the battlefield to that moment when you realize that maybe it happened. Now you're in the hospital. Now you know what really did happen. And now you know what the road is ahead. How challenging was that, brother, and what took place there? You know, I'm kind of in a unique position where I was able to uh, accept and process uh, the events of, of my injury uh, relatively quickly. So uh, I'd say most, pretty much immediately when I started to get my senses back, you know, I spent the first week kind of in the ICU and still really out of it from, from all the medications. Uh, but once I woke up uh, and was, you know, cognizant, mm -hmm. I just started uh, focusing on just being positive for my family and making sure they saw me being positive, even though I didn't know what was going to happen. But just um, just kind of figuring that I'd, I'd be able to figure it out and I'd be able to uh, find something new or figure out a way to keep doing the things that I like doing. 
So you knew at that point, Rob, you had to take it one day at a time. Yeah, you know, I had to, yeah, I, I have a list of things that I needed to do before I, you know, before I really tried to do anything else, mm-hmm. uh, like recover and heal and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, I kind of had to take it a day at a time and a milestone at a time, but then also have a uh, kind of a, a broad view of what the future could look like. What it could look like. Interesting way to put it here. Listen, a lot of soldiers, as you know, suffered. I mean, we report on this a lot uh, with our communities here in the platform, but suffer a great deal of PTSD is a major uh, problem uh, in in this regard. Uh, You know, was that ever a factor with you? I can't say it was. I had some hallucinations from uh, the anesthesia and and the morphine, uh, but I I, you know, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I didn't, uh, I didn't struggle with any, any visions or memories or post-traumatic stress of any kind. Wow. Uh, and you know, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, no, that is a major thankful. Are you kidding me? That yeah. is a, that is a blessing. And, and, and then some Rob, and I hear just yeah. your, your tone and your, and your, um, your tone and your body language, your consensus, absolutely. It's, fantastic i mean and you just kind of yeah well you just no no you know you got it together i mean you can just tell with people and the way they are right. and the way yeah i mean you just know immediately that you've got it together and that's not always the case rob because a lot of that suffering of the ptsd is very very common why was you do you have you probably may not know this but why is it it was was it any was you more prepared did something happen i mean because i'm going to guess I, from what I've seen and what I understand, I'm I'm going to say it, it may be nine out of ten, if not eight out of ten, uh, suffered to some degree of, of of a pretty problematic PTSD situation. Well, you know, it's uh, obviously ten out of ten have uh, memories that they're never going to forget um, of varying degrees. But I, I think it, a lot of it's luck. You know, uh, post traumatic stress is. Uh, it's, it's related to uh, brain injuries. So, you know, I was lucky enough. I only suffered a grade three concussion and I didn't have a traumatic brain injury. So that's one thing that, you know, I was just lucky. And then, um, I think just by being in the Marine Corps, I, I, I'd been prepared a little bit for it just because as a Marine, you kind of, you get used to accomplishing, you know, your mission, regardless of, uh, you know, what you don't have or what gets taken away or any kind of monkey wrench that gets thrown into your plan. And then on top of that, I think I just kind of naturally started focusing on the people that I cared about as opposed to focusing on myself. And maybe that kind of helped me to skip over the parts. Oh, that is key. That is yeah. key right there, brother. That is totally key. What a, what a really cool way to put that out there because I think that's the reason you were able to avoid a lot of it because when you focus on other people, and, and that just shows you have a good heart as well. Uh, right. And I, I mean, I get that, but you're, you're thinking about other people and you're focusing and putting them first even. And that's a powerful tool to use in these situations because when you when you make that energy about you and you internalize the energy, uh, then it becomes more of a problem. And because you're focusing on the problem and not really. And so that probably was significant with you. But you know, one of the things I noticed is what you told your physical therapist uh, back um, 
that your uh, the, the birthday November tenth, and that you mm -hmm. do everything possible that the, the Marine Corps birthday was uh, November tenth, and you do everything possible to walk by that date as you wanted to stand up and dance. And did you accomplish it? Uh, yeah, you know I did. Uh, worked started coming in three hours a day. Um, did everything my therapist told me to do, uh, and. I was able to go to not one, but three uh, Marine Corps balls that year. Wow. And, and you had something else significant happen uh, that uh, you were awarded uh, from the president. Tell us about that, please, and what that was like when that happened. Oh, um, President Obama did come in and visit me uh, as, a, as part of a – he was visiting everybody. Uh, but, yeah, he did come in and visit. I'm not sure – I'm not sure – I don't remember what he awarded me. <laughs> He signed, my flag, he signed my Marine Corps flag. Yeah. Wasn't it the Purple Heart? Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, well, I got the Purple Heart, but that, was pre that wasn't presented by uh, President Obama. That was presented by uh, the then Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, General Amos. So uh, what year? I, uh, what I love, hold on. I love the fact that he says, I was lucky enough to be there while he was there. Like he's just come and lost both his legs and he's happy that he was just lucky enough to be there. That just uh, sounds like Rob and his positive attitude that it was just, you know, he just takes on everything. I just, yeah. well, it, it, well, it's all about outlook and, and yeah. clearly, uh, Kevin, I mean, it, it, it really is about outlook as we see with this guy already. I mean, his outlook was incredible, impeccable, but, but I, I think one of the tricks in all of this is when you really are paying attention to the people around you and the people who you love and the people who love you. And that's where you're uh, a certain, a lot of your energy and your thoughts are. That is a, that is a magnificent tool to use coming through something like this, quite frankly. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, you know, you, you were, your outlook was so positive and you were always looking ahead. Like Malcolm was saying, you were about, about your family, mm -hmm. but for the other soldiers that were in there, I mean, what percentage are kind of like you in terms of looking at their families in the future? And how many probably went through the challenges, you know, that often we hear in the news, like, you know, the PTSD. I mean, I'm sure you associated with a lot of different people while you were there. You know, again, I think the majority of people had the same attitude. I mean, you go into the clinic and it's a positive atmosphere and there. It's not an atmosphere of doom and gloom and depression. It's, you know, hundreds of, of amputees getting on with their lives and recovering so that they can move on to the next thing. And, so I'd say the vast majority of the, the guys and gals that I saw in there had a, maybe, you know, maybe not the exact same attitude, but had a similar attitude. Well, that's, a, that's, that's just awesome. Yeah. Well, it, it, a lot of it too comes back to the courage and the mindset of these men and women who serve. Uh, I think there's a, it's a special breed. It's 1%, less than 1% of the nation. And you think you look at those numbers, Rob, and you think about that and it's a special breed of people who are serving, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly is. Uh, and it's been that way for the, you know, entirety of our, nation's history it's always been the minority of people that have uh that have served and but, but that's what's made it so cool and that's what's yeah. made you know this so works so well as it does but i think part of my goal buddy is to um get everyone to appreciate those who do that uh is mm -hmm. you know to really um to, to bring that respect where it needs to be. Sometimes there is, you know, we went through chapters in this country's history uh, with certain military conflicts and problems where that respect wasn't always there, Rob, you see, you know? 
Oh yeah, that's true. But I think, yeah, I think we're on the right path today. I mean, from my perspective, um, you know, I've, I've never really heard a negative word from anybody. I've only ever heard positive stuff, uh, from people thanking me for, for what I've done. So I definitely think that we are heading in the right direction and yeah, for, with, with respect to that. Amen. Amen. So, so from that hospital now, here's what I really want to know. And this is the part I've really been looking forward to talking to you about is uh, all these things you begin to take on now with the rowing and the running and the marathons and even bicycling for God's sakes. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, so what was the first uh, contest you put yourself through uh, that you were reaching for Rob and how, what was it and how far after was it you came out of the hospital that that happened, buddy? Um, the first major competition I did was the, was the Paralympics. Um, I had some, you know, smaller stuff that while I was trying, while I was learning how to ride a bike and while I was learning how to run, I went and did a couple triathlons in the DC area, uh, that definitely made me stretch. But I'd say the first major competition that I did was, uh, the 2012 Paralympic games. And that would have been, um, uh, a little over two years after I was wounded. So that was in set that, uh, that took place in September, 2004. Right, so you had two years to really heal and get, so what was that two years like before that first competition? It was, it was just, just constant uh, training and getting your, I mean, day, what was the daily routine like? Yeah. Well, I mean the first, um, first year and a half or so was my recovery. So, you know, I went from being, basically a skeleton in the hospital bed because, you know, my body had been through such a trauma. Uh, so I had to kind of start over from, from there and then started building on my strength and learning how to walk and, and learning all these skills. And then uh, started learning how to row about a year after uh, I was wounded. And then even then I was just doing it, you know, two, three times a month or two, three times a week. Uh, just having fun with it. And then eventually you got to a point where I had a rowing partner and we kind of sat down together and, and decided that we wanted to try and make the Paralympic games. And then when I retired in December of 2011, that's when we really started training hard specifically for that. So that would have been two days or two, two uh, training sessions a day, uh, six days a week uh, for nine months or so. And you won a bronze medal there, correct? Yeah, we were uh, fortunate enough to be able to to win a bronze medal uh, at the 2012 uh, Games after a lot of work and a lot of help from coaches and, and, and supporters. Remind me where those games were held, please. Oh, uh, they were in London. Yeah, I remember, I remember the games, and I'm just trying to remember where they were held. Yeah, all right. Uh -huh. all right. Yeah, London. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And so, all right, so yeah. you take that on, and, and then it goes from there, and then – then you started doing the, uh, the the bicycle. How far after that? I mean, taking on the bike was pretty pretty wild. I mean, not everybody can do that when you're an amputee, can they? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's relatively rare um, <laughs> in terms of. So there's a difference between single amputees and below the knee amputees and and that kind of stuff. So it's pretty common for single amputees above and below the knee or even double below the knee amputees to be able to ride bicycles relatively easily uh, with just a little bit of practice. But then the double above knee amputee is, um, it's a rarity. When I was learning, there was only one other guy in the world that uh, that could do it. That was a double above knee amputee. 
And then I guess when I figured it out, uh, that made me the second guy. So I decided at that point that one day I would like to, you know, put it to use uh, for something big. And after after winning the bronze medal, I decided, well, maybe uh, maybe that now was the time. Yeah, but how long did it take you to learn to ride a bike? From start to finish, from the moment that I first started trying to figure it out until the first time that I mounted, rode, and dismounted a bike all by myself with no help was about nine months. And then from there, it took a lot of practice to actually become proficient. And uh, the courage you put into that and the training and the the persistent attitude that it took uh, and you were getting stronger and stronger all the time. But the one thing you seem to have that you were so blessed with is a strong mind and a strong, that's the, that's the really the, that's the biggest gift Rob you probably have is your mind. Yeah. I mean the, everything doesn't happen without the, without a strong mind, the physical stuff, you know, the body does what the mind tells it to do. So. It's a mindset that is, yeah. I just want people to take it. That's a big takeaway from today. You hear Rob here friends and, uh, it really is a mindset. So you see what he's been through, what's transpired, and but it's all his mindset and what he's done that has gotten here. I'll tell you what, we'll take a pause here on the brink and we'll be back with Ron Jones in just a moment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. I pretty quickly looked into all the sports that I could participate in. I found out about Rowan and I found out it was in the Paralympic. He hooked up with Oscana Masters. She was also a double amputee. They trained for nine or 10 months. They went to London and competed in mixed Rowan and won the bronze medal, which we just shared with you that story. Those are the words from Rob Jones uh, on the brink of greatness today, friends. And um, I-, I think the story is just a, incredibly fascinating story it should give you a big lift and jump yourself um, with just hearing what rob has been through but i want to just focus on the inner strength for a moment here and you know the struggles you go through when you think about you know back from the battlefield where rob you were and the first thoughts of your mind like it would be very I mean, it's very common, very obvious to me. Your, your, your mind starts to say, okay, how am I going to do this? How's life going to be? How, how much did life change? What's really going to happen? So all these questions like, like hit your mind at once, right? And you struggle with all of that, those thought processes of what life is like. What's it going to be like ahead? See, the trick to that now from there to where Rob is today, a lot of people suffer major depression. Uh, and because they internalize that. And I think, Rob, you were so gifted 
uh, to be able to figure out early on that by making that strength, I think, more external and pushing it outward into the world was such an awesome thing for you to do because I think it allowed you to go faster, quicker, longer, and achieve more in a shorter period of time, brother. I agree. You know, um, every, every person has a limited amount of energy uh, available to them. And the more you spend living in the past and worrying about something that happened, but you wish didn't happen, uh, that means the less energy and the less focus you have to affect the things that you can, uh, which are the, you know, things that you can work on now and in the future. Because you can't change the past. You never can change right. the past. And the lessons of what Rob just says now are priceless for everybody. I mean, so he focused on the future. And what I mean, we all can relate to this in our own lives is my point to everybody listening is that, you know, there's anything that's happened in your past, or even if, whether it's a traumatic event or whether it's somewhere where you screwed up or you did something you wish you had changed or whatever it is, a, re a relationship or it doesn't matter. But the more you focus on that, the more it's going to hold you back and debilitate whatever it is you want to achieve in the future. And I'll tell you what, Rob, that even helps me out right now, just hearing you and your story, because it tells me we all have a tendency to do that. Our minds play tricks on ourselves. And we mm -hmm. sometimes start to feel sorry because that happened or this happened and it wasn't quite like we wanted it to be right or wrong. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, we all do. I, I do it too, you know, um, mm -hmm. but it's just about being aware of it. Uh, when it happens, and then being able to correct it. Uh, being a, yeah, I love this. I mean, I really dig this because being aware of it, being able to correct it. And so you've just given everybody a great gift and a reminder, as well as myself, that you focus on the future totally. Focus on what we have here right at the moment, people. Let's focus on that. And let's focus on everything life can be, which is what, Rob, you've done. So now you've taken, the, you've taken a lot of these things. You learned to really walk. I, I seen you run. I watched a couple of the videos. We're, we're going to put some of these videos in the post when it goes to Podcast Friends. If you're listening oh, to this cool. on talk radio, we are, we'll put the videos right in there uh, so people can watch some of these videos because they are definitely worth watching. And you get a good sense of Rob, uh, you know, where you're at. But one of the things I picked up with, and it's now I can confirm it in talking to you, Rob, uh, was in watching those uh, couple of videos I watched was your attitude was just you could see it in the videos was, uh, um, you know, you didn't take it all too serious. You, you, it was serious, but I mean, it was your outlook and how you took it and that you were able to actually also make fun of yourself a little bit. No. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's important to keep the mood light because uh, I think if you can make fun of something that it kind of, it tends to uh, reduce the seriousness of the situation a little bit. And I think that that's beneficial because if you have it in your head mentally that this a certain situation is mm -hmm. the utmost seriousness or it's going to be the most difficult thing you've ever done, uh, then you will pretty much manifest that. Um, because you believe it up beforehand. So if you can kind of bring it back down to earth uh, by making fun of it, I think that can really help. Rob, what's the future hold? Where, where are you headed? Uh, right now I am, I do speaking engagements uh, to hopefully continue to spread all the lessons I've learned over the last uh, nine years now. Uh, and then I'm writing a book uh, to do the same. And, you know, that's about it. That's taking up yeah. most of my time right now. Now, you're writing the book right now. When do you anticipate? What's your, what's your goal to have the book released? 
Oh, I don't even know. I mean, this is my first book. I've never written a book before, but... Uh, but it's just going to your first draft, you told me, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's just moving about, along. Just about finished with the first draft. Um, you think it'll be out in six months or... I would probably say more like a year. I mean, it's a... Uh, I, yeah, I'd say it's probably going to take me a little while to edit it and then, you know, find some people that are really good at editing and, and do all that work. Um, I, would, I would say next year would be my goal. Okay. So you really want it to be right. You want it to be. Yeah. You know, it's my story. So I want it to be good. You know, I don't want to rush it and have people read it and be like, well, that wasn't that great. No, I see that. I see that. When that book comes out, I'm going to help you promote it. We'll, we'll have oh, you thanks. on, we'll have you on the news programs on some of the other things. We'll talk about the story and help you promote that book, brother. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, your story is needs to be heard. Now, listen, I, I asked you, I didn't know that you, I, I want, I was going to say back to you, that you need to be speaking because you're you're very uh, you're very good as an orator and also right. getting the thoughts out there. And I was going to say to you that, and I didn't know if you were doing that yet. So you've started doing that. What have you been doing that? A little while, a couple of years, or more or less? Um, I kind of uh, done it on and off uh, since after the Paralympics, but I've really started doing it mm -hmm. uh, frequently uh, since uh, late 2017. Do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I was doing it on and off before because I didn't feel like I was really saying much that was unique. Uh, but now I've kind of rehashed it and thought about it a lot. And I've, I've, I've done it in such a way now that I feel like I'm being unique. And then I feel like people are really getting something from it. So I'm you've doing. honed in on the message is what you're saying, right? You've honed in on it. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, every good talk should have an overarching uh, yeah. message behind it. So I've identified that. Yeah, that's so key. What you're saying there. Now, what? So, tell us what the overarching message is. Uh, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier uh, about how selfless action is the key to overcoming anything and accomplishing anything in life. And you see, you would not be able. So, now here's the deal. Now, I want to share with people: you would not be able to do any of that right now had you had you not went through that incident in Afghanistan and lost your legs. You would not be able to do that. Yeah, that's correct. You know, uh, my life would be quite different. Not to say it would be bad, but I'm, I'm pleased with where I am now. Happy with where I am uh, at this moment. Think that's so. Let me tell you a couple of things. Now, you wouldn't be able to do that, people. So, so people, you appreciate what we're saying here now with Rob. It totally changed his life. He also wouldn't. Have, he probably would never have met his wife. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you would never. That's met. why I can't possibly give it up. <laughs> See, that's what I, so you wouldn't have met your wife. You wouldn't have met your wife. You wouldn't be speaking. You wouldn't be in a position because here's what happens now. See, the, the disadvantage Rob made into an advantage. See, here's the, is this really is the secret to life for all of us. You make it into an advantage. What do I mean by that? See, when Rob gets on the stage now and he's able to talk about this adversity that he's been through and life and what, how he's been, how it's, really threw him a couple of curveballs and probably a slider and a spitball as well along the way. Probably you'd say, Rob, huh? Yeah. And definitely. Yeah. So as those, as those kind of trick pitching was happening, uh, what's interesting about it is that, uh, you, you know, you learned from all of that. You, you understood what was going on. And now when you walk onto stage, you have, you have your prosthetics. You're able to walk with, uh, right, with the equipment. I mean, you're, you're, you've got legs, right? Yeah, that's correct. You've got legs. You've got new legs. And people see that immediately. So and you have to know in your mind that they, you know immediately when you see people, you know they probably look down at your legs, correct? 
Uh, yeah, I'd say they probably do. Right, because it's, I mean, it's different. It's you, back to the word you said earlier, unique. You said the word unique, right? Um, yeah, it's definitely unique. It's something that people don't, uh, don't see in their daily lives. So no, it's different. Yeah, they definitely aren't going to look. <laughs> exactly. So they're going to look. So that, what I'm saying is that it gives you a bit of authority and respect as well to be able to talk. Because if you've got a guy walking up there, you can certainly, they know that you can talk about uh, adversity and they know you can talk about these uh, points of life and the determination and perseverance that is required to get to the other side. Does that make sense? Yeah, you do have to uh, establish your why you're a you know, quote unquote expert and why why people should listen to you. So, if everything was different, then so here here's the real hard question, Rob, that I ask you. Then everything being equal now, if you wouldn't have met your wife, if you wouldn't be able to speak like that, if you didn't have the passion and the desire behind it, would you change anything that's happened? Uh, if I couldn't do all those things, correct. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I would, I wouldn't, I don't think I would change anything at this point. Um, uh, like I said before, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where I am, and I have a a, a powerful purpose uh, that I'm working towards. So there's really, you know, if, if they could invent a a pill that I could take to regrow my legs, that'd be great too. But uh, you know, if if they never do, then I I don't think I'll be too sad. No, because here's the thing: there is no pill, and in life we don't get it all. Sometimes, Rob. Yeah, very true. You have to uh, be able to move on uh, regardless of, you know, what you feel like you should have or you want, or you just have to move on with what you do have. I mean, this story is powerful. And what we've just pointed out to everybody, do you see the power of that, brother? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to maintain my humility, but I think I can see how people can get something out of it. Big time, because we just circled all the way back to the beginning. And when that happened on the battlefield in Afghanistan, in, in a very weird, odd sort of way, Rob Jones, it was a blessing. Yeah, um, it hmm. set me on a, on a very meaningful path. So A very meaningful path. A path yeah. And I, I bet you nobody has told you before that it's a blessing that that happened to you. Uh, no, I, I can't say I've, uh, I've heard it quite like that, but I can, I can see where yeah. you're coming from for sure. Well, you, you, you've been blessed. You've totally been blessed, buddy. So, I mean, 100%. And I, I see the story now in clear daylight. I mean, you, this was supposed to happen uh, because all these things and the people you impact in life now, and you had a good mindset. And your family will agree with me when they hear this. Your family's going to, they're going to have, they're going to agree with me. Yeah, they're going to understand. Oh, I think so. And, and knowing what you went through, and the other thing I want them to hear is that when you went through the hospital and all of that, that you, you really put the energy on them. You were worried about them, which is just, that's passion. That's compassion, but it's passion and compassion for a fellow human being. And he, really, you put it on other people, not yourself. And again, the lessons there for all of us people, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't uh, undersell that to you today. And what you've just discovered on the program here with Rob. Now, Rob, the website is, uh, and it's a beautiful website. I, I want to make sure we spend a moment here on this. RobJonesJourney.com. RobJonesJourney.com. And I'm on the website now, and it's very well done. You'll see a great quote here from George Washington uh, up in D.C. You'll get a sense of the, uh, the placket there. And, but you'll mm -hmm. get, there's a lot of videos here. Uh, so videos, and we're going to link them to all of the posts when it does go to podcast. Um, but uh, there's a, the, your bio here and a, a lot of interesting things. Uh, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll see here the, the mission. Um, and, uh, and then there's uh, 
the, the mission is really cool. The unstoppable. I watched that video. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Mm. Um, and some others. And, and, but on the donate, I want to just mention to folks that on the donate, um, Rob doesn't, I mean, he's pointing out three charities that he thinks you should take a look at. And, and I think it's worth mentioning friends. And I just want to point you to that donate button on there. Now, as you know, already out there, we have Brink charities right back at brinkofgreatness.com and, uh, where you can, it's good to give, I mean, give a little bit here or there, um, I'm not saying you need to go broke in the process, but it's good to give a little bit to some of these charities. He's got the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Uh, Stephen mm-hmm. Siller here is one he recommends. Uh, the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes and the Injured Marine Simplify Fund. Right, mm-hmm. uh, Rob? Those are the three? Yep, that's exactly right. And those are the three that you're passionate about, that you want people to pay attention to. So I would say let's take a look and pay attention to those for Rob. Uh, see what's going on there. Um, and... Uh, uh, the the journey again. People can c- contact you right on the website. There's a contact button there for speaking engagements uh, or other personal things. You can take a look, volunteer, press inquiries, and so on and so forth. Here, mm-hmm. um, Rob, uh, you uh, your story is um, just tremendous, and your um, uh, your mission, as you say here on the page here, uh, objective secured. But the mission continues. I love that, brother. I love it. Yeah. Well, then it's never really over, is it? It's a never, and, and we don't want it to be over either, brother. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> we don't want it to be over. So that's, that's the gift, buddy. That's the gift of that four-letter word I told you about earlier, right? Yep, exactly. So there's the gift right there. But the lessons out of this one, uh, people, should be, I mean, count your lucky stars. You heard this today. And Rob Jones, thank Rob Jones. He's an absolute brink thinker. It, the brink of greatness is designed for folks like Rob Jones. And this is what it is. This is about pointing out and celebrating life. Uh, as I say on the top there, and I just love this saying, celebrating the best of humanity with some of the coolest people on the planet. And Rob is definitely cool. So he fits that category right away here. Um, well, let me just remind everybody, the brink of greatness. Listen, the new shows every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can get it on iHeartRadio, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Uh, Our apps are on uh, Apple, Android, uh, or uh, Alexa. You can do the Alexa thing as well if you got that. And a lot of people love that. Talk to it and just say America Out Loud. We'll dial the the network up and you can listen. Uh, Tuesday is when the shows go to podcast. uh, The very unique shows. Um, But here is on Talk Radio First, America Out Loud Talk Radio. And remember this also, the brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back. Let nothing hold you back. Remember to take the next leap forward.